Ladies and gentlemen, your host for this evening, Jimmy Kimmel. Welcome and uh, congratulations. Welcome to the 95th Oscars. We made it, you made it. Congratulations, I know that uh, being here tonight is a dream come true for most of the people in this room. Thank you for inviting me to be a part of it, especially this year when the world finally got out of the house to see the films you worked so hard to make the way you intended them to be seen in a theater. Five Irish actors are nominated tonight, which means the odds of another fight on stage just went way up. <laughs> we know this is a special night for you. We uh, want you to have fun. We want you to feel safe. And most importantly, we want me to feel safe. So we have strict policies in place. If anyone in this theater commits an act of violence at any point during the show, you will be awarded the Oscar for best actor. <laughs> and permitted to give a 19-minute long speech. <laughs> no, but seriously, the Academy has a crisis team in place. If anything unpredictable or violent happens during the ceremony, just do what you did last year, nothing. <laughs> Sit there and do absolutely nothing. Maybe even give the assailant a hug. And if any of you get mad at a joke and decide you want to come up here and get jiggy with it, you're gonna have to go through my right hand man, Guillermo, if you wanna get up to this stage. Oh, wait a minute, no. hold on, I should say. The other Guillermo, not, not, not Del Toro, the, yes, that one, okay, there you go. There will be no nonsense tonight. We have no time for shenanigans. This is a celebration of everyone here. You told us you wanted all the categories back in, and we listened, so. No complaining about how long the show is. I saw all your own movies. Now it's my turn to make you sit in the theater for three and a half hours. Hello there, all you googly-eyed freedom fighters from an alternate universe, and welcome back to Sprowingly Take on the Academy, the best and most esteemed podcast for Academy Award do-overs. I'm Lee. I'm Spro, and we're here to rewrite Oscar history one gold man at a time. Joining us today is our friend, my driver to high school graduation, and if podcast hosts were like romantic relationships, he would be my first love and hopefully not the one to get away. My co-host on Second Chance Cinema, the sympathetic, empathetic, emphatic, dynamic MC. What's up, dude? Did you freestyle that or did you write that? Absolutely not. No, I wrote that. If I freestyled <laughs> well, it, there would be a whole lot of like, uh, like, like emphatic man. <laughs> no, I'm uh, I'm flattered because your your writing is is like gold. So I'm I'm honored to be put into words by by you <laughs> by your brain. Um, what's up, guys? Hey, man. <laughs> I uh, I don't I don't know why I'm here. To be honest, I mean, I know the last time we talked about the Oscars, I had a take on the festivities and the you know the entity that is the Academy Awards. But I'm certainly not the most educated when it comes to what you all discuss on here. So I'm ready to try and hang as best I can. Let's do it. All right. Happy to have you back again, MC. It has been eight days since the Oscars. And in that time, we're willing to bet you've gotten all the recaps that you need. So instead of taking you through each and every award and who won. We're going to wait. We're going to talk about some of them. Okay, fine. We need to talk about some of them. Fine. Yeah, no, I'm, okay. But not each and every. I think we should begin by acknowledging that the Oscars this year were D tier. Apart from a few shining moments, I was 
pretty bored. MC, did you watch the Oscars this year? I did not watch the Oscars, which you might have guessed, but I will say this. <laughs> Spro, since you graciously invited me to your Oscar pool, after making my picks, and I, I made them quite a while before the actual the actual event, but I found myself that night, long story short, I had driven something like 16 hours over the course of that weekend. I was just exhausted. But I found myself that night scrolling through my phone, refreshing results, almost as if it were fantasy football, to see if anyone I picked had won. So my interest was purely competitive, but it was there. Nice. My family, you know, were like, why doesn't Lee do the Oscar pool? Why doesn't MC and da, da, and why did you, I was like, MC's on there? MC's joined this year. So did I, happy did to I see score, that you joined the club. I'm not sure if I read the spreadsheet right, but I did I score the fewest points out of everyone? You were not in last place. In last place, you were in third to last with 27 okay. points. Okay. All right. Well, hey, only uh, the only place to go is up. Nice. Have you back again next year and hopefully we can convince Lee to join on. So apart from like what Lee said, like I wish I could be as bored, I guess, because I said I started that Oscar pool. So my family would be interested in the Oscars because I'm interested in the Oscars. I just wanted them to shut up so I can enjoy the Oscars. And this year I could tell that their interest in the pool and the Oscars is completely shot. Like during Jimmy Kimmel's opening monologue, they weren't even in the room. The lasagna had just come out of the oven. And so they all went to the (laughs) kitchen and I was stuck in the living room with my nephew who was just trying to, he was like, who is that man? Like just asking questions. And then three hours in, there was a wall sit tournament going on. I could barely hear anything at all. Anything for this episode is purely because I went back and watched YouTube videos of it. And I think next year I'm going to seclude myself in a dark room with a non-alcoholic bottle of wine and pretend like I'm 10 again. Nice. Like a sparkling white grape. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. With a little foil top. So I feel like an adult. Well, I got to say, I don't blame your family. I was falling asleep again during this show. And I know you are very happy that the ratings went up. But I really couldn't give a Frenchman's fuck about the ratings because it was boring. I actually think I liked it, though. Like, I, it went back to its classical roots. No DJ, no cringeworthy we're hip things, no Glenn Close doing the butt. The Academy tried to be what it wasn't for the past two years, and it did not work. So I prefer how this show looked and felt. Not to say, you know, it was perfect, but I prefer this style of Academy Awards more so than what we were getting. Watching people win is fun. Watching montages, not fun. Watching a hooray for Warner Brothers and a trailer for the live action Mermaid, not fun. No, I I agree with you. Um, I do think the channel, ABC and the Academy Awards are renegotiating their contract together. So at first I was like, what's with the Disney trailer? What's with Jimmy Kimmel as a host? And then realized we were it was just the parent company parent companying it up. Yeah, I read a headline that said Disney paid itself $10 million for the Little Mermaid spot. (laughs) Yuck. What about the presenters, though? I mean, so many of like that's an area where they can really beef it up. And so many of them, I think, seemed drugged. Pedro Pascal and Elizabeth Olsen were clearly having fun. But like Michael B. Jordan and Jonathan Majors, two guys who are always charismatic, just felt so wooden. Well, Jonathan Majors, I feel like he was nervous. That man was nervous. He didn't move from the original camera. You know, like Michael B. Jordan, at least, is finding the live camera. And Jonathan Majors was just standing there with his arms folded in front of him. But I think the presenters is where the Academy tried to be young and fresh. MC didn't watch the Oscars. I don't know if you knew that The Rock was at the Oscars presenting. But I like, and I don't know how you would feel about The Rock being at the Oscars presented. But to me, I was like, why is The Rock at the Oscars dressed like a waiter in Miami? 
I rewatched, I think, the bulk of the opening um, monologue, and it didn't make me bust up laughing and fall out of my chair, but I thought it was clever. I thought it was predictable. Of course, they're going to reference the things that they reference, but as far as Kimmel goes... And I want to preface by saying that when I say, like for the rest of this podcast, when I say, oh, I like this person and I like this person and I don't like this person, I'm talking about their work. I don't know any of these people personally. They may be very lovely human beings. I just may not be a fan of my journey with them. But I thought Kimmel was kind of a happy medium between someone like like Ricky Gervais, who has a... It's, he seems to pride himself in being like counter Hollywood or anti Hollywood. And he does it very expressively. Like he'll say something, it's clearly a dig at Hollywood or someone in the room. And then he says, Oh, I don't care. I don't give a fuck. I don't care. And that's kind of like his shtick. And, you know, he's a funny guy. I think he's a great writer, brilliant shows and stuff like that. And, and on the opposite side, the only one I could think of was Chris Rock from last year, where he was, you know, overshadowed, obviously, by everything that happened, but also kind of like, I don't know, just not extraordinary. And Kimmel in the middle, he's got this like every man kind of like schlubby delivery, which that's that's his character. And he does it very, very well. I thought it was hilarious when he came in on the parachute and the jokes again, like he they had a year to write those jokes. And, you know, whether or not they were the best jokes that got thrown up on the wall um, and then picked for his monologue, that's probably up for debate. But I thought it was a pretty pointed take on what happened last year and kind of taking the piss out of it in a way that didn't overshadow this year's show. And I don't know if that's a credit to him or the writers or both, but it was not my least favorite monologue of all time. I thought it was funny and I thought of Yusbro when he when he mentioned what happened last year. If, if there should be an act of violence, just do what you did last year. Nothing. Nothing at all. <laughs> <laughs> the references to Will Smith and everything, I think, was very well handled. And I think, like, I wanted to be like, what is the over and under of Will Smith ever, like, the next time he appears on Jimmy Kimmel's show, like, five years? You know, like, are they ever going to bury this hatchet? Because Kimmel went for him, you know? He even said something like, I hope this next award goes off without a hitch or hitch himself or something like that. Like, he was just referencing Will Smith throughout the night, which, for whatever reason, that never got old for me. Like a lot of sticks like kind of went too long. There was when Elizabeth Banks and the cocaine bear thing and then the cocaine bear oh, came back great. out. <laughs> as, as a lover of creature effects, that's the only reason that bear looked awesome. It, it was it was a sight gag. It was a, you know, a very one and done gag. But that bear looked phenomenal. I, I would not have bet on that at the Oscars. And that was, you know, you guys asked me the last time I was on, like, what what could they do to get me to want to watch? More animal costumes would be a good start. <laughs> How about Muppets? How would you feel about more Muppets? I would be more inclined to watch with a margin of Muppets. Yeah, uh, an, over, uh, an over under of, of Muppets. I mean, sure, you know, stuff like that. But again, and you know what it was? It surprised me because from what I saw from pictures, from the inescapable flood of social media and stuff the next day, this year's seemed more self-aware. And the things like the cocaine bear, uh, Jimmy Kimmel coming in on the parachute, like it, it was almost as if this was like a classed up parents version of the MTV 
movie awards that they used to do. Do they still do those with the popcorn and stuff? But like those things were silly. And, you know, in a room with like Meryl Streep and whoever else, like I wouldn't have expected a giant bear to show up. So in the name of um, unexpected uh, and, and, you know, pretty low expectations, that was an awesome thing to see. It's just a good looking bear. <laughs> well, because Lee thought it was boring and I actually liked it. I think the reason why you're here, MC, is you're a good buffer between us two. <laughs> Oh, all right. Yeah, I can I can get in the middle. I can referee this fight. <laughs> well, I'm glad you're here. And I did I did have a question written out because I thought that you were going to watch this year, knowing a little bit more ahead of time that you were going to be on the post show. No. But that's so you that you didn't. I love it. You did make mention of a few things, and maybe we can touch on these. The white dress slash hat lady. <laughs> this woman is now infamous. She has just been pasted on the internet for that. And Spro was the first person to comment on it. And then you followed up. What do we think of that lady whose name I don't want to say and give her any more publicity? On one hand, you know, you only YOLO once. And she went for it. And I don't know the significance of the hat. I don't know if it's a cultural thing. I don't know if it was designed to be outlandish strictly for the sake of being outlandish. But it's certainly not the weirdest outfit that Hollywood has ever produced uh, at an award show, especially. I think the main thing that bugged me about it was that it was just kind of rude. I feel like it's a bad indication of her circle of friends and hangers on that nobody said, hey, you know, there's probably going to be someone behind you. It just seemed like, I mean, it was the equivalent of like, you know, bringing a crying baby to a movie theater. It was just like, I would want to know, I'm fascinated by it. I would want to know more about the decision and and would want to know if there was more to it than just look at me, look at me, because that's what it's being dragged as. And if that happens to be the case, then fine. But if there's more to it, I'd be very interested to know what made that person think that it was necessary. It is funny too, because not only like everybody talks about that it is blocking the view from the people behind her. But if you look at the person that she came with, he has to lean at least four inches to the side so her ploof can go onto his seat. First of all, I love that you called it a ploof. I think that's the perfect way to describe that. <laughs> like there is not a better word and that's not even a real word. There's not a better invented description of that hat than a ploof. From here on out, that's what it is. But like, it reminded me of kind of like on an airplane. There are certain like understood rules of etiquette that exist on an airplane. And not everybody obeys them. Certainly, there are plenty of stories about that. But it's like, you know, it'd be the equivalent of like someone flipping their hair back over the seat in front of your movie screen or like, you know, someone using both armrests or something like that. It just seemed like it seemed avoidable. I like that you brought up that, you know, maybe it's an indicator of the type of people that she surrounds herself with. But I mean, she's a grown woman person. She has a brain. I just think I a I, very I well God, insulated think, brain from that hat. <laughs> I think it was just being oblivious in the end. But the next topic sort of leads it is led into by that one because it, it also deals with attire. Hugh Grant getting pissy with this influencer who uh, just I have no love lost for influencers who get positions in media, but this woman was trying her best to have an interview with this guy. And he referenced more than likely the classic novel Vanity Fair. And then she was like, oh yeah, that's where the party is afterwards. And then you could tell at that moment, that was when he's like, fuck this woman. And then everything else that she asked. Hugh Grant, you are a veteran of the Oscars and you've been here a few times. What's your favorite thing about coming to the Oscars? Um, well, uh, 
It's fascinating. It's uh, it's uh, uh, the whole of humanity is here. It's uh, <laughs> it's Vanity Fair. Oh, it's all about Vanity yeah. Fair. Yes, that's where we let loose and have a little bit of fun. Um, what are you most excited to see tonight? To see? Yeah, well, I know that you probably watched a few of the movies. Are you excited to see anybody win? Do you have your hopes up for anyone? Um, not, not no, no one in particular. Okay, well, what are you wearing tonight then? Just my suit. Your suit? Who yeah. made your suit? You didn't make it. Um, I can't remember. My tailor. That's okay. Yeah. Ta shout out to the tailor. Yeah. Um, so tell me, what does it feel like to be in Glass Onion? It was such an amazing film. I really loved it. I love a thriller. How fun is it to shoot something like that? Well, I'm barely in it. I'm in it for about three seconds. Yeah, but yeah. still, you showed up and you had fun, right? Uh, almost. Okay, all yeah. right. <laughs> okay. Well, thank you so much. It was nice to talk to you. Yeah. <laughs> what a grumpy asshole. Like, I was like, oh my God. And the woman, to her credit, did not give up. She's like, I've got more questions, bitch. So you can go ahead and, and brush me off as much as you want. She's asking everybody the same questions, right? So like, if she was better on her feet, she could maybe like switch up. But like, it was just by the book. What are you wearing? Who's your date tonight? Who are you excited to see? You know, like... He probably answered that question like 20 times before. Well, he was like, wasn't he the only one that like seemed to be grumpy as fuck about it? Grumpy as fuck about the questions. Yeah. He yeah. wasn't the only grumpy person in the audience, though. That happened when Jamie Lee Curtis won. Uh, but we'll get to that. <laughs> MC, you, you disagree? You're down with, with the grant? No, not exactly. But in my career, I've probably interviewed close to like s several hundred people, a good portion of which have been celebrities. And, you know, the trick to a good interview is to make it a conversation. Like you go in with preloaded questions, you go in with a list of questions, hopefully you've done your research, hopefully you know about the subject that you're going to be talking to. And usually when you go in with a list of questions, you start with the first one and then anything you had planned, like if you were going to ask him in a certain order, it just doesn't work. Like you have to adapt, you have to kind of like read the room, you have to schmooze kind of and have a conversation. My guess is that someone told her, there's Hugh Grant, go interview him. And she knew nothing of Hugh Grant, possibly other than having seen him in a movie. Whatever the first question was that she asked him, I don't remember what the first question was that she asked him. She was determined to ask the rest of that list of questions that were either given to her or in her head. And I think it could have been avoid. I think the awkwardness could have been avoided if she would have said something instead, you know, when she said, who are you wearing or what are you wearing? And he, you know, kind of played it off and was a little bit dodgy about it or whatever. Um, she could have said something like, you're not really here. You don't care about the fashion. You like the art. Who's your favorite artist that's in the room tonight? Or, you know, what films are you hoping to see um, celebrated tonight? Or is there anyone that you hope they pay tribute to? Not necessarily those exact questions, but the, the list of questions she had was so prescribed and she just stuck to it and wasn't flexible about it. And that's no slight against her. I don't know anything about this girl. She might have, that might have been like her first celebrity interview or her first time ever seeing Hugh Grant and knowing who he was. I mean, it's not easy. My first interview was with Tony Hawk and I, I got down to like a skateboarding competition that he was at and had no idea what was going on. And then his publicist is like, okay, yeah, we got you five minutes with Tony. Um, so come right over here. And I was like, what? I just, I was just came here to watch skateboarding. And so I had to kind of on the fly interview Tony Hawk and it was fucking awful. It was terrible. But you know, you practice and you do it more and you start realizing like what your technique is, I guess, and all that kind of 
bullshit. And I think she just kind of wasn't experienced. Now, could he have played along more? Sure. But I don't think you can always count on that. I don't know that he owed her anything. It's a shame that either one of them is being cast as at fault because sometimes just interviews are just shitty. And and I think that was just a bad interview. Such a good answer, bro. <laughs> I mean, right? Like we've it's all very, had. It's very political. I would like to. I would like to hear some more fire and brimstone. If I'm being honest, <laughs> for me, <laughs> from anybody. Look, a, a a shitty guest is like, or a shitty a shitty interview subject is like Tom Cruise and Matt Lauer. When Tom Cruise hijacks the interview to talk about how psychiatry isn't a real science and all that, that whole thing. When it's when it's a almost like a premeditated confrontation, that's definitely unfortunate, and that that's happened to me plenty of times too. But like Hugh Grant, like he didn't have anything nominated or anything, right? He was just there. He was just for all intents. He was a he was a presenter. Yeah. Oh, okay. So he was a presenter. So for all intents and purposes, he was there to do a job. I don't know. I I imagine he's been to at least a dozen Academy Awards before. So there's just just this this knowledge that you kind of have to go in with that, you know, if the interview starts to go sideways, you kind of have to figure out how you're going to pivot. And I agree that he could have, you know, like I said, he could have played along. He could have something, you know, made a joke or something about his tailor or what, what were the other questions she asked about him? Oh, Glass Onion. Glass Onion. Which I didn't even know he was in that. Was he really in that? He's at the very beginning. He's, um, it's never said, but he's presumably Daniel Craig. I can't think of his name, like Fleur de Fleur or Floof de Floof. It's his like lover. I'm kind of seeing it. But even still, like, yeah, when he said I was only in it for three seconds, maybe she, this is me with 20 years of hindsight and experience. My reaction probably would have been that was the best three seconds of the movie or something just to like, I mean, you're there to kiss his ass, kiss his ass. You know, like it was Mm. just, it was just, I, I don't know. She seemed like a young girl. She seemed like a a very sweet, very kind, energetic girl. And it was just a shitty interview. I'm sorry I'm not more controversial for you, Lee, but like... No, that's all right. <laughs> that's all right. It just, I don't know. I see actions like that and I'm just like, you ungrateful prick. I don't care how many times you've been at the Oscars, you fucking dickhead. Let somebody else be there then. To me, it's like the same thing of like sports figures having to answer questions right after a humiliating loss or something like that. And they're like, why is the coach so pissed off during the interview and stuff like that? It's like, because you're contractually obligated to stop and answer questions. And it's like, we don't need to know everything, you know? Yeah, but they weren't hard hitting questions. It was just, it was the the average length of those, those interviews is probably 60 seconds when you guess 70. Maybe, but he also answered honestly, like, who are you wearing? I don't know my tailor. Like, I don't, I don't even know who I'm wearing. I'm wearing Target. (laughs) <laughs> Target a Target hoodie and uh, maybe Levi jeans. I don't know. So like he obviously reads, right? Referencing the 1848 Vanity Fair, but he doesn't look at his label before he puts on the jacket. And honestly, when she goes like, who are you wearing? Your eyes go to his suit and you go, it's not the best looking suit I've ever seen. <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> he's like, I don't know. Really? Like I just fucking put it on. Yeah. And looked like a nice tux to me. All right. Enough about Hugh Grant. Jesus Christ. He hasn't been relevant. I will say this, MC, if you haven't watched, you should watch when he presents with Andy McDowell because you can totally tell he ad-libs a joke. And it was actually pretty funny. Uh, We're actually here to do two things. The first is to raise awareness about the vital importance of using a good moisturizer. (laughs) Andy has been wearing one every day for the last 29 years. I've never used one in my life. Still stunning, uh, basically a scrotum. 
had no idea. That kind of paints him a little bit more as a dick because if he is able to ad lib a joke on stage, you know, maybe he could have been a little more forgiving to this poor girl. Nice. But again, dick. Uh, I mean, maybe marginally a little bit more. I mean, but I think you have to remember, like during these things, I based on my experience, it's kind of like whoever you can get. Like grab whoever you can get, get a sound bite for, I don't know what the show is now. Talk, I was going to say talk soup, but I don't even know what that was when it was on. But like get a sound bite for the next day. And she did. She sure did. <laughs> not a not a great one, but you know, that was talked about. And it's kind of just like grab whoever's there and, and bring them on over. It's like a, a quantity over quality kind of thing. So asking this girl who looks like she's, you know, probably like 23, 24 or something like that to interview Hugh Grant. I wouldn't know much more about Hugh Grant than she probably did. So I think, you know, it was just a just a misfire. Moving on. Tom Cruise was supposed to be there, apparently, and canceled last minute. No idea why. People have speculated that it could be because, you know, he's still working on the two-part Mission Impossible 8. It could be because he read the tea leaves and it's pretty clear that Top Gun wasn't going to win any of the major prizes. How did we feel about the fact that really, honestly, there was none of the old guard was there? Tom Cruise wasn't there. Brad Pitt wasn't there. Meryl Streep wasn't there. Obviously, Jack Nicholson wasn't there. But none. how do we feel about that? Steven Spielberg was there to get his ass licked by yeah, Jimmy Kimmel. Did you notice he wasn't even in the front row, though? Yeah, I did notice that. I don't know how the seating arrangements necessarily work with the Oscars. Jack Nicholson always seemed to get his own seat. We know through experience that you have to be invited to the Oscars. You have to be nominated first, and then the remaining seats are by invitation only. So it's not necessarily anybody could show up. Meryl Streep was not nominated for anything. So then therefore she would have to be invited and perhaps she turned it down. You know, like not a whole lot of the old guard was nominated this year. Wait, Meryl Streep wasn't even there. She was the only like classy, fancy actress I knew and I name dropped her before and she wasn't even there. (laughs) No, she was not. Awesome. None of my like favorites were like Amy Adams wasn't there. You know, like that's why I think the presenters were, you know, for the young and hip audience because I was going to just start naming presenters, but I didn't get a chance to really watch the show. (laughs) Uh So you watched it, you just didn't hear it? Yeah. So I was like all over the place because I also have to like update my spreadsheet for the Oscar award pool. Usually I don't get a seat on the couch. So I'm walking around, I'm snacking or I'm stealing bites of my mom's lasagna. Like it's Mm. a, it's, I thrive in chaos and it's a very chaotic evening for me. Yeah. So Michael B. Jordan, I remember the rock. I remember Margot Robbie, I'm sure was there to present. She was up there with Morgan Freeman, who looks like Leap Day William from uh, 30 Rock. Yeah. (laughs) He was bald and he had, like, you can tell he's getting that, like, thinned out old man face like Gene Hackman has, but he has, like, a pencil thin mustache with that was, like, curling at the end, dude. It was crazy. Yeah. But you're lucky that Give you me, can- Wait, hold, give me one. It was funny because there was one person that my mom was like, who is that? I was like, that's Antonio Banderas. To me, he looked exactly the same. Nobody could recognize him in the household. Jennifer Connelly was beautiful as always. You know who I don't understand? And I'm going to fuck up her name. Cara Delviney? She's got a new show out where she, it's like Cara fucks the world or something. It's literally like her going around the world, like testing people's sexuality and like getting involved with them. It's fucking weird looking. Huh. I didn't realize Selma Hayek got married and took the man's name. I was like, oh my gosh, Selma Hayek. And they're like Selma Hayek Penult. But yeah, so it was a weird list of 
presenters, not necessarily a list, I would say, kind of be climbing up. Since you didn't get to hear it, you didn't have to listen to the live performances, which were in keeping with your previous opinion about them, as well as the best song Oscar. God, they were bad. Lady Gaga was so out of key. Could you hear that? Hold my hand. Everything will be okay. I heard from the heavens that clouds have been gray. Oh, well, no, you couldn't hear anything. I mean, I could because, of course, Lady Gaga got my niece and nephew's attention. So then the room quieted it down for their taste. But I didn't understand, one, the Everything Everywhere All at Once song, supremely chaotic. <laughs> Every time an original song came on, like I pointed out, like I was like, this would never make my playlist. I will never grace my ears with this again unless we do an episode where we run through everything and try to find the top five best original songs. Even not to, not to. Like, I was excited to see the performance. Not a great song. Like, as I'm listening to the lyrics, I'm like, they're really just saying not to, not to over, over and over and yeah, over dude, again. You had me like, really hyped for that. And I was like, okay. It was fun, though, right? It was much more fun than the ballads. Yeah. It was you, more ballads yeah. and not to, not to. Yeah, so. you pointed out that that was the only one that had some fucking hop to it. You know, like, I really enjoyed when Eminem performed for 8 Mile for Lose Yourself because, one, it was such an Oscar song of, like, uplifting and a good message and everything like that. And two, it was played on the radio to, de- like, it was a popular song. Same with uh, Shallow with Bradley Cooper and Lady Gaga. Like, or when you saw Frozen and you know Let It Go was going to win the Academy Award for Best Song. Like, those are winners. Nothing this year stood out. I like the Rihanna song. That's probably my favorite thing about Black Panther. We'll count it forever. Give me up. Hold me down. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Before we move on to the awards and everything like that, what I want from the Academy Awards is I want another Bob Hope. I want a host that just hosts, you know, like I don't want a late night talk show host who is going to give his like opening monologue and his cheesy jokes and kind of like brand his show onto the Oscars. I want somebody that you don't really see ever. They're not on your TV screen every single night. And I want their presence at the Oscars when it opens up to be like, oh my gosh, there they are again. There she Mm -hmm. is again. Like there's a bunch of actresses that have retired, namely like Cameron Diaz. I know Cameron Diaz isn't known for hosting skills, but in the same instance, like if Cameron Diaz came out for the Academy Awards and was like, look, bitches, like, here we go. Like, I'm going to be like, oh my gosh, look at Cameron Diaz. She looks so great. Like, I want her to come out with a whiskey glass, you know, with some hard liquor over rocks and just be like, clink, clink, let's get the show on the road. And it's like, that's what I want from the Oscars. I want just somebody to make me feel like every year this is going to go great and we're in capable hands. Sometimes I think the only reason that they have the host is because it's the tradition of having a host. I don't have any beef with Kimmel. Quite honestly, after his opening monologue, you barely saw him the rest of the ceremony, which is kind of the way it's been for the last five, six, seven years since they've been trying to move the show along more quickly. But I don't know. I think if they insist on having a host, they they need to branch out. Kimmel's done it multiple times. Like when was the last time they had a host that had never done it? And I don't count last year, the three Bs. I mean, like somebody like Aquafina would be good. Andy Sandberg, or yeah, like a B-list, C-list celebrity like Michael Sheen, somebody who has the charisma to carry it. I mean, fuck, dude, get Wesley Snipes. That would be fucking rad. I don't know. Have a Twitter contest where people can nominate and vote on potential hosts, but just change it the fuck up for God's sakes. 
They definitely they have to figure out the three things still that I pointed out in one of the Oscar fun facts. They have to figure out how much time they're going to give the host, how much time they're going to give the presenters, and how many commercials they actually need during the show. They take out half of the commercials. Nobody's going to notice except for the fact that the show is now two and a half hours and not three and a half hours. I'm okay. sad you guys didn't mention Kermit the Frog as a potential Oscar host. I would watch the shit out of that. Kermit and Fozzie. Muppets again. Bring some fraggles. You could have... Uh, was it Woodward and Bernstein, <laughs> the old guys? Statler and Waldorf, but good what try. If- <laughs> Woodward and Bernstein uh, were if- all the president's men. I knew there was a W in there somewhere. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. What if we just like forced the retirement of Tom Hanks and been like, this is all we want from you. He's such a like, he's such a pleasant guy, but I'm over the movies that he acts in. Ugh, me too. All right. The first award of the night was Best Animated Feature, which went to Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio. Hey, man, Netflix and stop motion animation beating out the tired Pixar formula and the rest of the computer animated caca. And he sends out that call to all, join us for the animation revolution, give animation its respect and its due. I love it. I love that guy. I like stop motion animation. When you were touting this Pinocchio film, I was like, you know what? I saw the 2019 Pinocchio film that was directed by Matteo Garone. It was nominated for the David D. Donatello for best film. I really like that version of Pinocchio. So when another version came out, I was kind of Pinocchioed out. I never saw the Tom Hanks version, but I'm pretty sure it kind of goes along with what I'm saying. We need to force him into retirement and make him our Academy Awards host, our new Bob Hope. My gosh, Tom Hanks would be a great Bob Hope. I'm going to shit on his acting career now, but he would be a great Bob Hope. MC, did you see Pinocchio? I didn't, but I will support practical effects, which I would consider stop motion to be largely practical effects every day of the week. CG's fun, but I'm still thinking about that giant costumed bear. You can't, you just can't <laughs> computer generate something that awesome. I can't remember the last animated feature film that, that kind of like knocked my socks off. But, you know, every year, every year when the holidays come around watching Nightmare Before Christmas, it holds up and it's just amazing to think of how those movies are made. The patience, the exactness, just the dedication, like that's a workhorse task. And so without having seen, I, I support the, the stop motion uh, revolution or whatever you called it. I'm glad that we're bringing this back up. I want to jump forward. I want to talk about the best visual effects, which of course was Avatar The Way of the Water. Shocker, not a shocker. But if best practical effects was an award, MC mentioned Pinocchio, but I'm going to let you guys think about it. Just think about who might have won this year, because as Elizabeth Banks, right, is up there shitting on practical effects with the man in the bear suit. I'm sitting here, I'm sitting and I'm being like, eventually, if you're good enough, I'm going to forget that's a man in a bear suit. I've seen all the behind the scenes of Jaws, and I still sometimes think it's a fucking shark. An even better example, I went to see the Broadway show of War Horse, where I'm watching four guys manipulate a wooden horse on the stage. And by the third act, I'm crying because this horse is stuck in barbed wire. So I get where Elizabeth Banks is coming from, but I'm sure the visual effects for Cocaine Bear are two months from being outdated. And I still have my jaw drop when 31 years ago, I saw a fucking T-Rex rip through electrical wire in Jurassic Park. Practical effects will always hold up, like MC is saying, with Nightmare Before Christmas and now with this Pinocchio. With Coraline, which we touted in our second episode ever of Spro and Lee take on the Academy. With all that said, would we say Pinocchio is the best practical effects of the year? Or was there another movie that maybe did it better? This is a category I want. I want visual effects and practical effects to be separated. Practical effects, you brought up a good point. It would be a lot of horror movies. I would want to see things like X and Pearl up there, especially X. 
Some of the kills in X were amazing. And that alligator, was that alligator or is it a crocodile or a fucking alligator? I can never get those <laughs> confused. But the 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 giant lizard that kills uh, Brittany Snow, spoiler alert, in, in X, was that CGI or was that practical? Or a mix of both, like the Tyrannosaurus? I don't know. Uh, practical effects will always hold up so much better. As long as you do, I'm right. Stop motion so. to me would, would win just because, like MC said, when they made Nightmare Before Christmas, you didn't get a whole lot of behind the scenes. I'm sure they were out there, but now you can follow Leica Studios on Instagram, the people that made Box Trolls and Cor- Coraline and Kubo and the Seven Strings. And you can just, they, they just have a... a a time-lapse video of the people manipulating. I don't know. It's kind of like playing with with dolls, which I guess I like. I didn't think I liked that, but I do like it. Creating, building everything by hand and then making the dolls do things and, and photographing. I don't know, man. I would probably, I would give it to that. I would give it to Pinocchio. MC? I mean, my favorite movie of all time, you know, is Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles from 1990. And that was all Henson's Creature Shops doing with the costumes, the animatronic masks. And you watch it and it is, it still holds up. Like the movie itself, I could talk for hours about, you know, the layers of that movie. But the disbelief that was suspended watching those actors in those suits do martial arts as the Ninja Turtles, it it was a complete departure from reality. I believed I was watching these live action Ninja Turtles. And it was, I mean, it was years before uh, Jurassic Park. It was, I think, a year before Terminator 2. So, like, practical effects were, I don't know if you could say they were at their peak, but they were, they were, they were certainly at a, a specific, you know, like there was a, a magnitude to them when they, when they worked and when they worked well. And, you know, talking about Del Toro, um, a lot of his movies like Hellboy, Pacific Rim, and all those movies which kind of get shit on, like, those movies are fucking gorgeous. And they are obviously a combination of CG and practical effects. But when you see the, you know, the costumes and the makeup and all that kind of stuff, he does it in a way where he doesn't rely on one or the other too much. And those movies are just beautiful. We've been jumping to a different category that Lee and I talked about on our last episode with production design. And Avatar was being up for production design. And Lee makes a good point. Like, it's all computer graphics. It's all people with a green screen. Like, what about this is very design heavy. And when we're talking about practical effects and building sets, it came out to be all quiet on the Western front was what won, which surprised me, but I was also kind of happy about. But you want, you know, like MC was just talking about with, I felt like I was watching the Ninja Turtles having fight scenes. And it's like, yeah, because you are like, (laughs) you could tell your brain isn't being tricked and you could sit back and relax and be like, this is exactly what I'm seeing. And so I'm glad the fact that All Quiet on the Western Front won Best Production Design because it felt like you were sitting in sets. I mean, you have to, too, consider Top Gun. I think when you're talking about practical effects production design, cinematography, like it was no secret that movie was built up and basically promoted for like two years before it actually came out. All you heard was how much real flying and how many real mock dog fights and cameras mounted on the planes and stuff like that. I don't know exactly what category that would fall under, but it would have been probably way cheaper, way easier, way quicker to just CGI a jet, have it explode. But Tom Cruise fucking went for it and it was incredible. But then it gets, now I'm thinking it gets dicey because if you have a film that mixes practical and visual, where does that go? Can it be nominated for both? Can it not be nominated for either? (laughs) You know what I'm saying? 
uh, Ninja Turtles 1990, fuck the world. That's what I'm saying. So you brought up Top Gun Maverick and where would it be for mounting cameras on the planes and everything like that? I would guess cinematography, Lee? Uh, Yeah, but then I think what he was saying was a lot of that was practical. There was some CGI in Maverick, but it was it was all very practically as far as effects are concerned they would be called practical effects i guess if flying a, a fighter jet is considered an effect yeah i don't i don't know how to answer your question of like where you draw See, the line between practical muddy. and it's the, getting muddy yeah it is i'll have to double check but i think this was the first year where you could not be nominated for an academy award if your hiring practices didn't meet certain diversity criteria and they could probably just say you cannot get a best practical effects award if you have this much CGI in your movie. So mm. it could just be like a cutoff like that. Well, here's something that we can do to knock a bit of this conversation out of the way. The big winner was Everything Everywhere All at Once. No movie has ever won all four acting categories, but this movie won three of them, which has been done before, but I think only like three times. So Michelle Yeoh won Best Actress. She got that late game push. Kiwi Kwan obviously won Best Supporting. He was, his speech was great. God, it was so good. And then Michelle Yeoh kind of faltered because it was like she was poaching his speech for a second. Did you notice that? She's like, dreams all, all, do also come true. It's like, he said that already. Think of your own thing. But the one that it won that I, ugh, I do not agree with was Jamie Lee Curtis. And when they showed the clips, like when they do the like the nominees are and then they go through them and they show you like a quick clip. The quick clip that they showed for Jamie Lee Curtis was immediately followed by Stephanie Sue's clip where she's like breaking down crying. She's just had this huge fight with her mom and she's like, I love you, mom, but being around you hurts too much. And I'm just like, oh, my God. Here are the nominees for performance by an actress in a supporting role. Angela Bassett, Black Panther Wakanda Forever. I am queen of the most powerful nation in the world, and my entire family is gone. Have I not given everything? Hong Chow, the whale. You listen to me. He doesn't need saving. In a few days, he's probably going to be dead. So what he needs is for you to leave him alone. I'm the only one who can help him. You understand me? <laughs> Carrie Condon, the Banshees of Inishara. Hey, what the hell's going on with you, me brother? You can't just all of a sudden stop being friends with a fella. Why can't I? Why can't you? Because it isn't nice. Jamie Lee Curtis, Everything, Everywhere, All at Once. Now you may only see a pile of boring forms and numbers, but I see a story. So I can trace the ups and downs of your lives. And it does not look good. It does not look good. Stephanie Hsu, Everything, Everywhere, All at Once. I'm tired. I don't want to hurt anymore. And for some reason, when I'm with you, it just, it just hurts the both of us. Just let me go. Three, 
And then they gave it to Jamie Lee Curtis. I don't get it. <laughs> I mean, I'm not even bringing up the fact that Angela Bassett was the front runner. Like she was kind of supposed to win that one. And Jamie Lee Curtis, who campaigns her balls off, comes from behind and takes it and then invokes her Nepo baby parents. <laughs> that Yeah, that's the thing, isn't it? That's what we were talking about all year. It's and like Angela Bassett being upset, I get it. Like I would have loved for her to win. It's what we say all the time on Saltota. It's not who you want to win. It's who you can stomach. I can stomach Angela Bassett winning. I watched women talking. That movie and the performances in it knocked me on my ass. Any one of those women in that movie could have won for women talking and I could stomach it. But Jamie Lee Curtis just doesn't make any sense. And I think it is kind of a, a smear on the Oscars that she won this year. You like her? Great. It's like she's a fixture in Hollywood. Awesome. Plan to give her an honorary Oscar at some point. But what she did in Everything Everywhere All at Once is not even her greatest work. And she doesn't even have a really great portfolio of work. I think my, my favorite performance of her is True Lies. She does really well in that movie. But it's just weird that if she was campaigned in to win this award, it was A24 doing it. And A24... They're very secretive. They don't really give interviews. It's kind of all about the art. But the fact that that it seems like A24 really try to push this Jamie Lee Curtis win, it soured me on that studio a little bit. I, I don't know if I could bl- – I don't know. You don't – This I is campaigning. This I is think a campaign process. But this I think – lobbying. That's not what I was <laughs> – I don't think it was A24 pushing her. I think it was Jamie Lee Curtis who's been in the business for you know 40 plus years, knows how to play the game. But I feel like if you campaign for yourself, you get kind of like schmeared in the presses like Melissa Leo did for The Fighter. You know, like she was she was pushing herself and they're like, look at this broad. Well, Try, trying to get herself an award. Whatever the case was, I still think, I mean, everybody other than her deserved that award. And it it bums me out. I guess I thought we were past that whole like, oh, they haven't gotten one. So we're going to give them one now. And I, I was hoping we were past that. She's not even old. Like, that's the thing is like, you usually give it to like the 80 year olds on their way out, like about to kick the bucket. She was born in 58. I'm not going to do the math right now, but that doesn't seem too old. Well, she's pushing 70. Yeah, she's not too, she's not too old. I guess what it is, is that Angela Bassett's catching a lot of shit because she was bummed out when she lost. Kind of, am I reading that right? She looked really angry when they did not call her name. Well, I mean, she kept it together. I don't know. I feel like that's forgivable and and kind of um, expected when you're up for like the biggest award in your field and you don't win. I would probably be pissed too. I'd like to think maybe, you know, I'd, I'd have the grace to, I don't know, applaud the winner or whatever she didn't do, but who the fuck knows? I saw a picture where it looked like she had a scowl on her face or something. See, I did do research for this episode. I'm taking this shit seriously. All right, all right. All right. I saw a, a picture where she had a scowl on her face and it was, it was a moment in time that seemed to be captured and then redistributed around the internet. You know, who knows what happened afterward if she went up and congratulated her or if, you know, the rest of her reaction was a little more positive or whatever. I don't know. I would be, I guess what I'm saying is I can empathize because like you said, she probably started, you know, believing what people were saying that she was going to win. And then this swerve was a total bummer. I think Spro said that, you know, Jamie Lee Curtis, I you like her, but did she deserve to win? I'm, I'm definitely not qualified to say that, but I did enjoy the, the genuineness of her reaction was endearing at the very, very least. I forget what she said, but she was like, no shit or shut up or something like that. And it felt like, you know, it felt like a genuine surprise, which lots of times these things aren't. 
And actually, when it came to my Academy Award pool, the top six prizes are based off of Vegas odds. And pretty much the two people that won first and second place guessed Jamie Lee Curtis. And because her odds were pretty far off, they pretty much sealed the deal right there. And I think it was like the second award of the evening. But you're right. Like, I genuinely like her reaction as well with the shut up. It seemed like she didn't know it was coming, which means that she is a pretty good speech giver because <laughs> we have seen some really bad speech givers when they didn't expect it, even when they did expect it. Brendan Fraser was a hot mess giving his acceptance speech. I love Yes, he was. <laughs> like, that was tough. <laughs> but yeah, I hope that she, like I said, like I, I like Jamie Lee Curtis. She seems like a pleasant individual. And so I don't want to say that she campaigned to ruin Angela Bass's Knight, who I also think is a very cool hip lady that I would like to sit at a dinner table with. But yeah, no, it was just it was just a weird moment. She's basically been the liaison for that film since it came out. I mean, Everything Everywhere All at Once came out like one year and one day before the Oscars. And in that time, I mean, it, it's never really left the public conversation. A lot of that had to do with Jamie Lee Curtis talking about it all the time. Still doesn't explain why What's Her Face didn't win. Yeah, what's her face? She totally should have won. I love what's her face. Stephanie Sue. Stephanie Sue. Yeah, she was Stephanie great. Sue. She didn't win because she doesn't have, you know, 40 plus years under her belt in the industry. She gave a better performance in a far more interesting role. Hong Chow was fantastic in The Whale. Carrie Condon was fantastic in Banshees of Inisherin. And Angela Bassett's always great. I think she's a little over the top in Wakanda Forever, but that that's the same thing right there. How old is Angela Bassett? Why wasn't this her opportunity? And, and she wasn't getting dragged on the internet, by the way. Like There were hundreds of posts like immediately following where people are like, bullshit. I don't know. But just the fact that the man who played Short Round and Data has an Oscar now on his mantle and his story, just wonderful. Not to bounce around even more, but like, they obviously expected Everything Everywhere All at Once to win Best Picture because Harrison Ford is the one presenting it. And then you get that sweet moment where Short Round and Indy are back again. Mm-hmm. And he's like jumping all over him and giving him a kiss and everything like that. Like, I love that moment at the Oscars, but in the same instance, I was like, why did that moment happen? <laughs> that felt planned. That felt planned. Yeah. And you know that the Oscars don't really know because they fucked up their entire broadcast thinking that they were going to give Chadwick Boseman a posthumous award in Black Panther, instead giving it to Anthony Hopkins for the father and then be like, that's it. That's all, folks. So I'll see you later. You know, goodbye. It was for Ma Rainey. It was for Ma Rainey, not Black oh, Panther. Oh, for Ma Rainey. Okay. Um, Jesus, you call yourself a movie podcaster. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Spro, let's let's let you shine and let's talk about best original screenplay and best adapted screenplay. I did predict the best original screenplay a little bit with Everything Everywhere all at once. I said that it was a very complicated script that was going to take a lot of rights and rewrites and trying to figure out where the holes were. I'm sure there was a whole lot of weed smoking when they were writing the script that was just bonkers <laughs> and off the wall. Um, but good for them. It's always easier. If you find a writing partner that you can bounce ideas off and nobody gets their feelings hurt, like you are a cut above the rest because you already got somebody that's like an editor in your corner. I have a writing partner. His name is Dash, and I appreciate him to the moon and back when we work on our projects together. When we're talking about best adapted screenplay, I didn't see women talking until we were done with our pre-show for the Oscars. I loved this movie, and I wish that I saw it to talk about earlier. I loved the cast. 
cast. I think that best casting should be an award category, and I would give it to John Buchan and Jason Knight for this because they put together this cast with Rudy Mara and Jesse Buckley and Claire Foy, like just everybody in this movie was casted brilliantly. The writing was so simple, yet elegant, yet amazing and on point. And the fact that she is adapting it, not from a previous movie, not from her own novel or anything like that, from somebody else's work, and then putting it up on the screen as well as they did. Just even like the little shots that you get, like it's part of the editing process, I know, but when somebody is talking and then they just give you a little glimpse of the feeling that they're talking about or the the situation that they're talking about, but really the whole movie is a group of Mennonite women talking in a barn and to make it as interesting and as thrilling as it was, I absolutely love the script and I applaud Sarah Polly for women talking. That's the directing snub that I would have said had I watched the movie before our last show. Sarah Polly probably should have been up there, at least over Steven Spielberg. Wait, is this the same Sarah Polly from Dawn of the Dead? Yes. Yes. Oh, that's awesome. Good for her. I know. It's like she went up there to accept her award. I was like, (gasps) I know her. Yeah, good for her. (laughs) That movie fucking rules. Did that win any Academy Awards? Probably won like all of them, right? (laughs) No? No. It could have won Best Practical Effects. Zombie movies probably are rife for that. Best original screenplay I really still wish had gone to Martin McDonough for the Banshees of Inishirin. It was the only award that I think they had a chance of winning. And I, I see your argument about everything everywhere all at once, but just from a from a writing standpoint, the dialogue, there's only four characters. I mean, there's more than four, obviously. You've got the policemen and the barkeeps. But by and large, there's four characters. And even the, the, the bit parts are fleshed out and interesting feeling characters. It, everything everywhere all at once is kind of like you said. It's just like a bunch of dudes that got high and were like, what if we fucking? What if we fucking? But I don't know. Banshees feels just so much more deliberate. Whereas everything everywhere all at once, if you peel back everything from everything everywhere all at once, it's kind of just a story about a mom and her daughter who don't get along because of generation gap and, you know, differing beliefs. But Banshees is so much more complex. I don't know. I really wanted Banshees to win. And it brings up another funny point. Banshees won nothing. Tar won nothing. The Fablemans won nothing. Elvis won nothing. It's pretty crazy. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was all shut out. The Banshees of Inner Sharon wasn't even nominated for the Writers Guild Awards for original screenplay. What? Yeah. The nominations for that was Everything Everywhere All at Once, The Fablemans, The Menu, Nope, and Tar. All right. I like The Menu. I don't know if I would nominate it for an award. (laughs) No. I would, I would not either. I mean, but there's Nope. Like you're wondering why Nope wasn't up for anything. And then the adapted screenplay was Black Panther, Glass Onion, She Said, Top Gun, and Women Talking. And then Women yeah, Talking. Yeah, there's that. a nomination for She Said. I can't believe that didn't get any nominations. All right. Are there any other of these awards we want to talk about? I was surprised All Quiet took four awards. MC, you want to sound off on Top Gun did take one. I do want to throw out, though, before we give MC the Top Gun award to talk about, with my Academy Award pool, everybody for short film animated went with the boy, the mole, the fox, and the horse, and only one person did not, and that was MC. MC, do you remember what your what your pick was for that movie? Yeah, of course I remember. It was... Uh... I don't remember. No, you you picked My Year of Dicks. (laughs) Oh, yeah, that sounds right. (laughs) 
I mean, <laughs> Spro, I have to be honest with you. There were quite a few categories where I was just throwing darts at a board. <laughs> All right. So Top Gun wins one award, wins best sound. I don't don't disagree. Like, I think when I'm when I'm listening to to you guys talk, it's very, very endearing to me because this is something that uh, the the Academy Awards are something that I'm not particularly passionate about. I've been I've been pretty clear about that. But hearing the passion that you guys have, whether it manifests as like, you know, you're you're complimenting these movies and saying you agree with the picks or you're like vehemently disagreeing based on you know, your, your passion for one of the other picks, like it's very, very inviting. It's a very, very like, like just because I don't enjoy it doesn't mean I don't enjoy hearing you enjoy it. And one of the things that, that made me think of was how it seems to me sometimes like the Academy Awards, they take out the emotional experience of a movie. Like obviously some of the more, you know, high profile movies that have won in the past, but Forrest Gump and like... I don't know, Titanic or whatever. These epic movies that have emotional elements to them and create an emotional visceral response from, you know, the audience and stuff like that. But when I think of Top Gun, I and I know I picked Top Gun to win Best Picture and I kind of did that just as like a goof, but also like, yeah, why not? I saw Top Gun in the theater with my mom opening weekend. When I was little, we used to watch Top Gun all the time, the original one. And sitting in that movie theater with her, it, it was more than watching a movie. It was it was sharing this experience, and I realized that that's not something that the you know the academy can can logistically take into consideration. The fact that this movie might have meant something to may have meant something specific to a certain person or a certain group of people or whatever. And so yeah, let's give it the award. I get that, but I think the the emotional relevance of Top Gun to me and to the people that experienced it the way I did was just very, very unique and poignant. I mean, I cried at the end. Like I cried, you know, him and uh, Rooster are are trying to escape from the country that's definitely not Russia and they get in the Tomcat (laughs) and stuff like that. And it's just like, it did everything a movie is supposed to do. Like it legitimately did everything a movie was supposed to do. It was exciting. It was entertaining. It made me forget everything else that was going on in the world and it created a memory for me. And I feel like you know, that's kind of where I have the disconnect with the Oscars is the movies that you guys are talking about are technically proficient, masterfully written, masterfully acted. But for people like me, the emotional connection just maybe isn't there. And that's exactly why I'm not qualified to even be a guest on this podcast. That's kind of my take. I didn't know Top Gun won an award, but best sound, I mean, yeah, those jet engines were fat. Well, that's part. So Lee did not like Top Gun. Lee was not enamored with Top Gun. And I was like, but did you see it in the theater? And he gave two responses that kind of make sense. One, he didn't see it in the theater. And I think with a movie like this, you have to let the jet engines rumble your ass cheeks. And then the second thing is um, he didn't really like the first one. And I was like, well, I think the, the awesome thing about Top Gun Maverick was it gave you the same feelings that you got when watching the original. Like you got that nostalgic feeling and it didn't let you down. Where if you don't like the first one, uh, I can't really hedge my bets that you're going to necessarily like the second one. You know, same thing with Ninja Turtles. I realized that Ninja Turtles is not, you know, the most 
lauded or proficient piece of cinema of all time, but emotionally, that's where it gets me. And that's why, you know, I'm able to list the favorite movies that I have, you know, so distinctly is because they're all tied to these moments in my life, these emotional moments in my life. And um, Top Gun, there was a, the, the tiniest chance in my head, I was like, I was imagining it like, like if you were, if you were like booking a wrestling show or something like that. Like, if you really wanted to surprise and swerve people, like when Hulk Hogan turned on the Macho Man, it would have been giving best picture to Top Gun. And I'm not saying that that's what they should have done, but it would have been such a justifiable twist, I think, that that could have, you know, done what you guys were talking about the last time we chatted, which was kind of open the door to a, a broader audience. My point was that I, I thought Top Gun itself was an event. Top Gun Maverick was an event that happened to us at probably the most opportune time as we were coming out of COVID, as movie theaters were beginning to reopen. And it was the absolute perfect vehicle to kind of usher in that we're getting back to normal thing and remember how awesome movies used to be. And I think that maybe 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 the Oscars isn't a place to celebrate that, but that's what that movie did. I think if there hadn't been such an avalanche for everything ever all God, I hate saying the title of that movie. That movie, I genuinely think Top Gun would have had a chance. I mean, every time it was mentioned, there was like audible like people just loved it. And and it was like Again, it was just such an emotional event because it 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 was just a right place, right time, well executed piece of of movie history, and it'll be awesome the next time I watch it, regardless of how many awards it's won. Oh well, I'm glad you liked it. I find it. God, I just found it very formulaic. Like, okay, they're gonna well, talk no about shit, the mission dude. the entire. It was- <laughs> I mean, no shit. The mission it was the entire time, and then they're going to go on the mission. You know, the first part where I was like, "Okay, this is cool," was when they're on foot. That was the first part I mean, where I was like, "Okay, this is new. This is fun." And then when they're like, "Okay, let's let's move. Don't run." And then, okay, we should probably start running. Like, I, that was where I was like, "Okay, this is interesting. This is new." I mean, come on. They even went back to the beach for Christ's sake. And the scenes with Jennifer Connelly, that whole storyline with Jennifer Connelly, just scratched that whole thing. And it was the only reason they did it was so that it was Rooster and her that he was possibly going to not come back to if he died on that mission. I mean, I, I love Jennifer Kennelly. <laughs> I mean, you're saying it was formulaic and automatically that has a negative connotation. I mean, what's wrong with a movie formula? It's comforting. It's less to think about and it gives you more time to concentrate on like or or enjoy or immerse yourself in those things that you guys were just talking about the sound the visuals the cinematography the effects the performances all that stuff like formulaic movies are kind of like you know it's like when you learn to read like when you develop the automaticity to be able to read a page without thinking about it then your brain can do other stuff like your brain can imagine the 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 descriptions that you're reading and can imagine the characters and as you buckle in for a movie like Top Gun which absolutely was formulaic. You kind of are like, I know exactly what to expect. And if this movie delivers, I will be, I will, I will have enjoyed it. And not only did it deliver it, it, in my opinion, and 
I think Spro's opinion over delivered. Call me Jaden. Agree, agree to disagree. We're you know agree to disagree. When we were texting and you were like, "You ready for Top Gun to win Best Picture?" When you said that, I was like, "I, I think I even texted you like, fucking Stranger Things have happened." I, and if, I it, mean, and if everything agree. everywhere hadn't been sweeping all night long, I would have it would have stayed in my mind that you said that. I mean, I well, I mean, I, I hoped against hope. I suppose I just it would have been cool. Um, and a lot again, of people agreed with you. Agree to disagree. You know, just just because I don't want you to sit at my table doesn't mean I don't want you to eat, brother. Uh huh. I think um, I, that was paraphrased from a Tupac quote. I think so. I like how Lee said "awe," but I don't think it. It doesn't sound like a huge compliment. <laughs> Keeping it on Top Gun and Tom Cruise and everything like that, I have already suggested two new categories of practical effects and best casting. You want to talk about best stunts? Who me? Yes, you. <laughs> oh well, you no, you got uh, you 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 bring it up probably more frequently than I do. I'm just fully in support of it. You know, my background includes a lot of uh, uh, martial arts and gymnastics and stuff like that. A lot of my friends went on to become stuntmen. And it's just a profession that if you're going to validate and reward, you know, some of the the method acting choices that we've seen, like, um, you know, McConaughey losing all that weight and Jared Leto going through his transformation and Raging Bull and all that kind of stuff. Like, that's essentially... What a stunt is, is putting your life and your body on the line for the sake of the movie um, or the character or the art or whatever you want to call it. You know, stunts are incredibly dangerous and it just is like, it just seems like such an obvious award. And I know that it's been reserved for like the Spike TV awards or like the Man Show awards or whatever, but I think that's a disservice to the, to the industry of these people who... I don't recall any actor ever, and maybe you can uh, correct me, but ever having died from like acting wrong, you know, but plenty of stuntmen and, you know, stunt women, stunt people have injured themselves, um, sacrificed their careers and even their lives like for the movies. So why wouldn't that be rewarded at the biggest celebration of movies every year? And then you would get action movies being mentioned at the Oscars? I mean, unless I don't know if there were many stunts in the Banshees of Vin Shimmerman, but, you know, no, I mean, I it, don't think so. You know, if movies like um, like when if I don't want to tip my hand too too much, but if, if you're asking me for at least like one of the best stunts of all time, it's funny because it's Jamie Lee Curtis from True Lies hanging out of the limo. That whole sequence when it goes off the bridge and she's out the sunroof and he picks her up on the helicopter and stuff like that. You think about scenes like that and on screen that all took maybe what like 30 seconds or something but you have to consider that you only get for most of these sequences and stunts and fights and explosions and all that kind of stuff you get literally one shot to do it i mean you can't blow up what was the thing that uh christopher nolan just did like he he built an atom bomb or something like that like you can't do that <laughs> more than you can't yeah, you, you can't do that more than once. Like you have to appreciate the just the the fine art that is stunts and choreography and, you know, the exactness with which it's it's just executed. I think about Michael Bay in Bad Boys 2 and the driving sequence. There oh, yeah. And how they're saying that they were flipping real cars at them. Not a scratch got onto the I think it was a Ferrari that they were driving. For that whole sequence, they built this giant like steel frame around the Ferrari. Like this is 
The other thing about stunts too is how innovative they are, right? Like for that sequence, nothing like that had ever been done before. And so there was no um, precedent. It wasn't like, oh yeah, let's just do what Spielberg did in Close Encounters. We'll just make it, we'll do it a little bigger. Like he had to visualize, conceptualize, invent, and then execute this stunt by building this crazy looking rig to wrap around a Ferrari so that it would feel more real. Then he had to get all kinds of people on set who were experts at how the car was going to roll and how the car was going to bounce and things like that. And it's just such a, if you can appreciate the screenplay that goes into making a movie, if you can appreciate the direction, you know, best, best director, best screenplay, best sound design, best cinematography, all that, like stunts in movies when they're done right and when they're done effectively are just as if not more intricate and you know essential to the overall to the overall experience tarantino is a big proponent of stuntmen he's actually the only stunt person i can name is zoe bell because he's not only used her as uma thurman's double in the kill bill films but then he brought her in and started casting her in movies starting with death proof death proof is where she plays herself and they take that car out into the countryside and she plays ship's mast where she goes out on the hood of the car and uh, hey i would be all for a stunt category casting also interests me but if we're talking about stunts our friend of the show uh emily has worn many hats but at one time she taught stage combat and i asked her one time, once upon a time, what she thought should be the Oscar equivalent of a stunt award. And she said, well, the Emmys do, the Emmys do give stunt awards and they give it for outstanding stunt performance, which I imagine would go to an individual and then outstanding stunt coordination or stunt team, which would then be the like, you know, the veterans that are, that are coaching everybody through their stunts. A stunt team is like, like Jackie Chan is the classic example of a stunt team. Like Jackie Chan's stunt team, you, you see the, you see a lot of the same like actors and background guys show up in his movies because they're all on his stunt team. They're his, they're like his handpicked dudes. And that's another component of movies that, that shows kind of just how carefully these things are planned. You know, like um, Jackie Chan's a perfect example. Didn't they give him like an honorary Oscar not too long ago? I feel like that happened. And that was awesome. Like that was, I remember being like really, really happy for that. Because again, like for as difficult as it must have been for I keep going back to McConaughey, but for as difficult and as as arduous and as, you know, just completely miserable as it must have been for him to lose all that weight and to, you know, get his body in such a frail, frail state. Like he did it for the same reason that Jackie Chan jumped across buildings without a net. He did it to entertain the people and to make the people believe, the audience believe that what they were seeing had stakes to it. And so I think it doesn't sound like any of us disagree with the idea that there should be a stunt award. I'm just coming from a place of passion for, you know, based on based on my life experience and the friends that I have and the, you know, cool stuff I've gotten to see and see and and just a love for the effort and the um, the genius that goes into creating and executing these really, really unbelievable stunts. Yep. And in 2016, he was honored with the honorary Oscar award. That was when I was off the Oscars. That's why I didn't remember that. I was, <laughs> I was in no longer an Oscar viewer in, the, in those years. Yeah. I mean, Jackie Chan <laughs> is an icon. But I'm surprised. Like Tom Cruise is another one, right? Doing his own stunts. Tom Cruise's stunts are 
fucking incredible. Like the video of him, there were two videos that came out probably around Christmas when um, Top Gun started streaming on Paramount. He announced it by jumping out of a plane and skydiving and like just all nonchalantly, like as he's falling out of a fucking plane, he's like, yeah, check out my movie Top Gun on Paramount Plus. Isn't this great? I'm so glad you all came to see it. I hope you liked it. Like while he's falling out of a plane. And then like a week after that, it was that video of him doing the motorcycle jump off of the ramp over the cliff like eight times just and the first one was fine like that's the thing i remember from that 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 video was like yeah that first one looked pretty good but he was like no i'm gonna do it seven more times like (laughs) he can he can demand whatever he wants and he's an adrenaline junkie who he can demand to make a movie in space i mean i would (laughs) well we talked about a a couple of awards I, i had one more i wanted to float and you know if if no one wants to bite then that's fine should there be more awards for performances is is four not enough i kind of like that there's only four because it's like okay i don't know for some reason four is just a very neat number although i am curious to know like what determines the qual like what what qualifies you as a supporting actor or actress like how supporting do you have to be to get that role you know was it Anthony Hopkins for Hannibal Lecter? Like was in the movie for 10 minutes? You know, Not quite that short, but yeah, he was something he and like Marlon that. Brando for The Godfather. Those are great right. examples of, of people that were probably supporting. There's a lot of category uh, shuffling. I realize that there's no like hard, fast answer. Like, oh, you have to clock 15 minutes of screen time to be considered. I realize that it's more nuanced than that, but it's always kind of made me wonder like, how do they, like best actor I get, it's usually like the top billing on the on the credits and all that you know the major name whoever's in the movie i get that but i'm always curious to know like how do they zero in on the supporting actors and actresses who are going to who are going to make the cut well to answer both the questions that got thrown out mc first the so the actors and the supporting actors and everything the top billing doesn't always have to be the case um case in point this year with Michelle Williams she was pretty much a supporting actor in the Fablemans, but she thought it was her year to win Best Actress. And so she asked for her name and for the studio to campaign her in that light. So then she was up for the Best Actress Award. So it's very much where they think you're going to win and where they can put you and make a good argument for it. Same thing that happened with Viola Davis back in Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. That was a Chadwick Boseman film, and she was in it for probably as much as um, Anthony Hopkins was in as Hannibal for Silence of the Lambs, and she was placed for Best Actress uh, that year. See, that kind of of sours it a little bit for me because it's like- Yeah, doesn't it? (laughs) The way you said it was like, well, I'm going to go for this because I think I can win this. You know, like it's kind of like, yeah, like running for student council president versus running for student council treasurer or something like <laughs> it's that. It's like you're a secretary, bro. <laughs> yeah. You know, like that, that kind of, that kind of sours me a little bit on it, but yeah, I you don't really I want it. to know how the sausage is made, but um, to answer not. Lee's question, I do want to like, I would like best newcomer as an award. I would like okay. to see like kids, you know, be up for that. And we've, we've touted maybe best cameo. That's a little niche, a little nuance, but then also maybe best voice work or best put VR on a performance. Green, yeah, I was going to say put on green suit or dots on your face or like, because I really think that Zoe Saldana is amazing in these Avatar films. And I would appreciate if she got more recognition for her work in them. Yeah, I just always go back to Lord of the Rings. 
and Andy Serkis says Gollum. I mean, and then he's gone on to do, he did the Planet of the Apes reboot I was going to say, Caesar, I loved Caesar, probably even more so than his Gollum performances. Oh, boy, it's got to be pretty good. I haven't watched those movies. <gasps> yeah, I don't know. Before we say goodbye, wrap up and say goodbye to our guests, I do want to tout, we would love to do a best stunt episode. If you want to gather, if you, if any of your friends want to gather along and we can, Lee and I can just take a seat back mm-hmm. and listen to you guys talk about stunts. I think that would be f- a fantastic episode. Um. Well, I made that all up, so you're putting me on the spot. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I, uh, <laughs> no, I mean, it's, it's making me feel really old actually right now because you know, all these guys I knew, I've known for decades and they've done everything from like Power Rangers. I think a couple of them worked on like Lethal Weapon 4 or something like that. I don't know. I have to look into it. But um, anytime you guys want to talk about stunts and action sequences and things like that, I can certainly provide a list of who I would nominate and, you know, for your consideration. Is that, that's what they say, right? Yeah, you got that. You got that. Nailed it. Nailed it. You guys, I'm learning. I'm, 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 I'm head over heels into this shit now. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Well, first of all, thank you, MC, for coming on. It's nice to have your opinion and uh, you're always welcome on the show, uh, regardless of how you feel about your own contributions. (laughs) I appreciate that. You can hear MC on not only Second Chance Cinema with Spro, but you can also hear MC on the Mount Rushmore podcast that he does with Spro, with Rudy, and with a gentleman named Jeremy, where they talk about the best of the best in pop culture. For us here at Spro and Lee Take on the Academy, uh, Spro and I have an interview coming up with filmmakers Randall Miller and Jody Savin and a couple other folks from their new movie, Coffee Wars which will be out on VOD the 21st of March, and we will be talking to them shortly thereafter. That'll be coming next. Keep your eyes peeled for that. That's all I got. Spro, you got anything? Nope, you pretty much nailed it. Yeah, I fucking nailed it. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, what a great kicker. (laughs) All right. Well, I'm Lee. I'm Spro. I'm MC. Hey. (laughs) And we hope to see you sitting front row when the envelopes are red. And the Oscar goes to everything, everywhere, all at once. Nominated for 11 Academy Awards, Everything, Everywhere, All at Once won seven Oscars tonight for actor in a supporting role, actress in a supporting role, original screenplay, film editing, directing, actress in a leading role, and best picture. This feels incredible. There is no movie without our brilliant and big-hearted cast and crew, but not just these beautiful souls here. Also up there and in little Tokyo, we see you. So this award is ours. I never thought I would get to say this, so I say it with one voice with all these people. Which is no person is more important than profits.
Um, have a great night, guys. Thank you so much. Thank you. Everyone have a good night. Thank you for watching.